Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dose Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just wanted to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest is Dr. Jack Cruz from jackcruz.com. Dr. Cruz is a respected neurosurgeon and CEO of Optimize Life, a health and wellness company dedicated to helping patients avoid the healthcare burdens we typically encounter as we age. On this episode, Jack and I discuss what's new with Jack since we last spoke in 2012, yes, over six years ago. We discuss why a lot of people consider Jack's work to be quackery. We discuss why a lot of people perceive Jack's information as pessimistic rather than optimistic. We discuss the importance of why going to the original source of information is extremely important. I asked Jack to explain how food relays information to the mitochondria. I asked Jack, is electron spin a scientific fact? I asked Jack to explain what is a topological insulator. I asked Jack to discuss the importance of melanopsin. I asked Jack to explain what is redox potential. I asked Jack, where should someone begin to educate themselves on the information that he puts forth? I asked Jack to explain heteroplasmic rate. And finally, I asked Jack about the importance of getting into actual sunlight. Here, Jack shares with us how we should progressively readapt ourselves to get the full benefits of sunlight. Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding episode with Dr. Cruz. He's an absolute legend, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Dr. Jack Cruz, thank you so much for making time 
to speak with me today. There's nobody who's going to listen to this who doesn't know who you are. But it's been six years since we spoke, as we just uh, uh, touched on before we got going here. Um, what's kind of changed in that last six years? I know you've moved around a few times. And what current sort of projects are you working on now? Well, actually, I'm, I'm sitting here right now uh, waiting for the sunrise to occur uh, at my farm. And the farm is really the, the new project. It's uh, something that I've been wanting to do for probably 12 to 13 years. It's going to be a place where we're actually going to be able to teach physicians about quantum biology. And actually, I'm going to open it up also to the public, especially in my local area, because there's so many people that are interested in what I'm doing now. Because, you know, as you said earlier, you know, 10 years ago, most of what I was bringing to the table flew over most people's heads. And now we are in 2018. And you consider some of the Nobel prizes that have been given over those 10 years, you consider the books that are now published. um, People are beginning to understand that my perspective, while was considered crazy and a quack 10 years ago, now might be, um, one of the best ways to look at health and wellness going forward um, because it really is quite simple to understand. You know, I always tell people in many other interviews that I do that uh, if lions and hippos can, can do it, you know, without knowing quantum physics, so can you. The problem for humans is that they don't realize they have this amazing quantum computer in their head called the brain mm. that allows us to break all of nature's laws. And you know, you just said something before we came on, Robbie, um, when you interviewed me six years ago in 2012, when you mentioned when I stood up at the Paleo FX conference and talked about the banana on December 31st in the Northern Hemisphere and how back then when I said it, you kind of knew there was something to it, but you were like, I need to know why. You know, it's one thing to say something, but I need to know why this is the case because this perspective is interesting because it is different Mm. and it's not something that I thought about before. And if you really think about it for the last six, six years on social media, on Facebook, on my Patreon blog, on my Jack Cruz site, even Twitter, you know, where you interact with me probably more than any other platform, you see the people that now really get this loud and clear. And now once you get a little bit of, wisdom through your curiosity you want to go deeper and deeper and deeper because you realize that you've missed something really big and the the crazy part of the whole story for me it's really nice to see a lot of predictions that i made back when nobody was making them come true but that's not really the goal here the goal here for me has always been to move the needle in medicine because i think that the paradigm we've built you know, around sick care and about wellness care needs to be tied together for patients so that they can learn that there is a doctor in their head. They need to trust it. And the only way that people are going to trust it, no matter how smart or stupid they are, is to understand a little bit about that conundrum that tripped you up in 2016 about the banana and about December 31st. Because I think when I can get people off the needle of macronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, and make them realize that there is another layer to this onion that you need to see. And when you do see it, 
it's going to open up a world of possibilities for you to understand why we're making the mistakes that we're making in organized medicine. Because one of the things that frustrates me is doctors aren't bad people, you know, all over the world. Yeah, we're making some critical mistakes, but we're making these mistakes because we've tripped over um, our own belief system. And it's based on what's been put in our head by our educational system, by medical school, by residency. And, you know, this is not just a mistake that doctors make. It's a mistake that we all make. And all of us need to know that. And, you know, right before we came on the podcast, that's one of the things I said to you, Robbie, really quickly. I I told you why um, I miscalculated. I I made my own Dunning-Kruger error when I dropped this information uh, in the group that I thought would get it the most. And it turned out, I realized pretty quickly that it doesn't matter how smart or intelligent your audience is, that they can still make mistakes if their belief paradigm is not truly open like a parachute. You have to have people that have an open mind. And the best way to have an open mind, in my view, as a black swan mitochondria, is to teach people how to be curious. And, and the more curious you are, thinking always follows. And guess what? Thinking is really what Jack sells. Jack sells the wisdom of nature. And the thing is, all I need to do is open your mind to what's out in nature. And then magically, you'll start to see why my perspective is what it is. And, you know, once you have that, if you want to critique me and be a skeptic, I'm cool with that. I don't have any issue with that because the one thing I guess that I didn't do a good job, Robbie, when we talked about the first time is all humans have a cognitive bias, Mm. but the number one cognitive bias that we have to allow uh, ourselves to have is that of nature. Nature is, is our, what I call primordial cognitive bias and we don't realize it. Yeah. No, we always look at cognitive biases as bad. And what I, I guess I'm trying to get across to you very succinctly and clear is the thing I want you to be biased towards is anything in nature. Hmm. Um, and not everything will be good. For example, tobacco is a normal plant. No, I don't want you smoking it because it ruins, you know, the, uh, the terminal electron acceptor oxygen. But guess what? What's in tobacco, nicotine, if you get it a different way from either uh, a patch, a pill, gum, or maybe some nuts that you chew, maybe then it's not such a bad problem once you fully understand it. And if, you know, just to take this nicotine thing further to freak people out, when I tell you this, you're probably going to be surprised. It turns out that nicotine has a different effect on really white people with low melanin in their skin versus people that have melanin in their skin. So guess what? There's another layer to the, to the onion that you need to understand. Nicotine's a natural thing, but it's not natural for every single living system on this planet. Therefore, you need to understand how it fits into our framework. And that's the reason why we have these biohacking guys all over the world talk about, you know, the use of nicotine. They don't give anybody, how shall I say, the beacons, the, the positive and negatives, so people can understand how to use this in their hacks. You know, and when people find out, like, you know, about nicotine, just because it came into my head, I'm watching the sunrise come up now. Um, people don't know that nicotine is related to melanin function. Melanin is a fluorophore protein. Turns out that people have darker skin, have a hard time quitting 
uh, addictions tied to nicotine and people who have really white skin. And when I say that to people, it's very similar to what I told you in 2012 about the banana. I'm doing the same thing to you, except now I'm using a different example. And the reason why I do that, I'm trying to move the needle to another area so that you begin to examine why I'm saying what I'm saying so that I can keep you curious because on the surface, when you tell somebody, yeah, the color of your skin actually links to the addictive factors in nicotine, you begin to realize, just like I've told people on all the social media platforms, that all addictions are tied to dopamine levels. Well, dopamine levels are tied to melanin because guess what makes it? When tyrosine or phenylalanine are affected by UV light first in our eyes and in our skin, that's actually what creates dopamine. So you just heard me say that melanin ties back to dopamine via skin color. Well, melanin is what gives us our skin color. And guys like you and guys like me who are white boys from high latitudes, you know, from, from Ireland, um, we have different metrics that are set by our mitochondrial biology. And I guess what I want to teach people is I want you to understand that because it's always focused around three things. Uh, all my wisdom, no matter where I'm at, is always going to be around light, water, and magnetism. Yeah, yeah. I promise you that the details within each one of those things is incredibly amazing when you jump into it because things that you don't believe are linked, you'll find out, really are linked at some level that you probably have never understood before. And that's, that's the beauty of, of wisdom and knowledge and learning. Hmm. Like, uh, for me, just, just before we dive into the, the topics we're going against, I, I kind of want to make our discussion today around mechanisms because I, I, personally I think the more people know and the more they can understand, well, then the more they can, I suppose, like, essentially start to see that the message you're you're trying to trying to put out there because uh what i currently see jack is anytime i mention your name to certain individuals they sort of poo poo to be honest they're like he's a quack you know like like what he, you know he's comes out like there's nothing to back it up blah, blah. and like usually what i see is it's a few things one it's an insecurity in that individual in that they just don't know. Like I don't know either. Like I, I don't have a great understanding of the physics or the biophysics or, you know, when it gets down to like when we're speaking particularly about like electrons and spins and what's going on in the inner mitochondrial membrane. Like I don't fully understand the mechanisms. And what I see is when people don't understand that they have this kind of subconscious insecurity and then they just kind of get into this defensive mode of, ah, he's talking a lot of, you know, he's talking a lot of crap. Like, no, and then, you know, they just get really, like, ah, he's a quack or whatever. Or, um, but you know, when, when you, uh, people think you're crazy when you become wiser and more informed. Yeah. And you're not crazy. Not, not because you're crazy. It's, it's actually because their illusion of the truth is threatened. Mm. And I'm going to tell you that that's the reason why when most people disagree with you, I mean, we're going through it right now in the United States with the Supreme Court. People don't listen to each other to advance knowledge. They, they listen to get their point across. Yeah. And when your point is, how shall we say, the paradigm where most other people are at, but your opponent's idea is way deeper than where you are, you have to listen with intent. Mm. And what happens, Robbie, is people who really have a limited knowledge and limited curiosity always default to the ad hominem. Yeah. And I, t I try to teach my members that anytime you hear an ad hominem, 
And I would tell you to employ the same tactic. You know, one of the things that I think infuriates people about me is that when people do go ad hominem on me, I love it. I absolutely love it because what they're doing for me on social media to all my members, my members know to look for this because it shows the person how ignorant they really are. Mm. And the thing is, say if that person is a, a big social media mover, um, I want people to understand that why I'm in this, Robbie, is not to point out how stupid other people are. I want everybody to realize how stupid we are collectively as a species. Yeah, yeah. Because we allow people, we allow their ignorance to actually affect our beliefs. And once our beliefs are affected, guess what? Bad things can happen to us. That's part of the reason why when you and I first met, that whole thing about the banana and December 31st, while very interesting, on the surface, based on where you were at that time, that's the reason why my critics and skeptics could say to me, hey, this is total horseshit. I mean, that's exactly what a psychiatrist from Harvard University said at a paleo FX meeting to all the other people, you know, here I am six years later and I'm, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to go back and say, how smart was she? Mm. And, you know, she's supposedly this, this still big paleo expert. I, I chuckle at that stuff. Yeah. Why? Because she's not going to move the needle for our species. And, you know, why did we all sign up for this, especially on the doctor side? We signed up to do no harm. And the problem is we do harm, when we think what we know is, is always static and not dynamic. And yeah. I guess the thing I'm trying to point out to you is the one thing I've learned in this journey, that nothing is static. Everything is dynamic. Absolutely. And, and especially when it comes to biology, even within physics, which have universal laws, I have found that E equals MC squared and the second law of thermodynamics, those things are actually also dynamic, mm. but dynamic in a different way than we would think about it in biology. And that's what makes the study of life, the, the biophysics of life, incredibly interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Like, as I always say too, Jack, like I, I say this multiple times on my podcast and to multiple people, like everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason. In that, what I mean is to truly understand someone's behavior or point of view, you have to understand like there's so many environmental factors that have shaped the way they currently see reality. So when someone like is saying like, oh, such and such is a quack, it's just because that's their current frame of reference, given all the experience and environmental factors that have currently made them the person they are in that moment of time. And so it's under, like you can, so when it comes to things like behavior, like, yes, there, there are good and not so good behaviors, but there's always a context around it. Like I'm currently actually reading Robert Sapolsky's book, Behave, like, and he's like, really, there is no good and bad. It, it all comes down to context and, and then also the environment to try to understand why someone or something is the way they are. But another thing I just like you to address too, before again, we get into like the deeper conversations is two, two criticisms I, I constantly are hearing about, about yourself is, okay, maybe everything Jack says is true from a, from a mechanistic standpoint, but the way he says it could be better in that a lot of people think that you put a lot of fear into people like, you know, 5G is going to ruin us and blue lights ruining you. And it kind of can put in, some, in people's subconscious mind that 
oh, I'm weak and feeble. Whereas like, I know some other people there, like they're all about trying to make us as robust and resilient as possible. And like, no humans are strong. Like, so like a lot of people think that your mission is, it kind of puts fear into people, you know? And again, that comes down to the end user too and how they perceive a message. So it's not like always that the person delivering the message. I mean, if Jesus was to come back today, he'd be like, I think everyone misinterpreted my message. Well, I mean, I look at it differently. I think you have to look at it. Uh, and I think what you just said here about we need to define the terms yeah. uh, on each side. Uh, and what, I, what I've tried to tell you, and I think you're, you'll probably be an interesting cat for me to say this to, because you have an ambient awareness of me. You've never met me. You've met me over social media. And you may think you know me. Most of the people out there think they know me. They just have an image of me. It's not me. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. And what I would try to tell people is if you go on my Patreon blog, uh, and just look at the admission statement that's right there. What Jack Cruz is all about is right there. It, I'm about changing the paradigm of medicine. And let me just tell you something. You don't change anything in any paradigm unless you kick it in the balls and, and completely tear it down. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is that many people think, you know, there's that cliche out there, hobby. And I got the sun right in my face now. So it's kind of like giving me some inspiration. People say that you get a lot more bees with honey. I don't agree with that. I, that is so counterintuitive to my mindset. Everything that I've seen in medicine tells me that the, the history of the movers and the shakers, like Semmelweis is coming to mind. Mm. These are people that really stand out from the crowd absolutely and they do things that just offend the, the the common paradigm and that's what really moves the needle i don't believe that you have to be nice like you know i can't believe i'm gonna say this but i'm gonna say it because i guess you're in the U in the ireland in the uk you know in our country right now we're going through this whole thing with our president and the supreme court and people on the left really believe that we have to like our leader. I don't believe we have to. I think our leader has to be effective. And the way I look at it, you know, I didn't vote for Trump, but I'm going to vote for him next time. You know why? I look at him very similar to me. Why? We're brash. We, we say things to offend people, to get them to realize that they are asleep. And the crazy thing is, when you start to employ some of the things that they do, the needle moves for the whole. And you may not like the guy. You know, I personally, it's, he's not a guy that I'd want to sit down and, and have a beer with or open up a bottle of champagne with. But the one thing I respect about the guy is that things that our last president said couldn't be done, this guy's done in two years. And you know what? You can still hate on the guy, but you got to give him his props. Mm. You know, our economy is doing phenomenal. People are going to work. You know, I look at Europe where you're at and, you know, a person like Merkel and, you know, uh, Theresa May. And I, I just shake my head and go, how long is it going to take them to get this medicine? So why am I saying this to you as an analogy? I view the same thing going on in medicine right now. You know, I see there's some guys across the pond where you are, like Asim Holtra, you know, down, down South Africa, Tim Noakes. I don't agree with everything they say. But do I respect them because they're people that move the needle, that are making people uncomfortable in the paradigms that they're in? Yes. 
The people I have problems with, Robbie, are the ones that don't move the needle, that want to keep people talking about food macronutrients. That's mm -hmm. the reason why I really have lost a lot of respect for a guy like Rob Wolf. Mm -hmm. He's a bright guy, but I don't think he moves the needle for anybody because he's keeping people in a diet paradigm. You know, and the minions that he has in social media, I look at them as a problem too. Like people have told me, hey, you need to go on Joe Rogan's podcast. Well, when I looked into who Joe Rogan was and who his friends were, I was like, that would be an epic fail. You know, I, I'm going to do far better, Robbie, talking to guys like you who are reductionist, mechanistic thinkers. Why? Because when I get you to realize that there's even a problem with that type of thinking when it comes to nature, then you have a choice. Is Jack really crazy or is he, is he peeling layers back an onion that we all need to think about? Because those things are the things that really move the needle for our biology. And that's ultimately all I care about. Yeah. See, that's what defining the terms is, Robbie. Mm. I, you have to know why I'm really doing what I'm doing. Let me tell you something. The most frustrating thing is to be a neurosurgeon at the top of your class and the top of your field and to see people that you can't help because of what you learned and, and to see the things that you were taught to do that are considered evidence-based that really aren't and that hurt them. And, and you know this implicitly. You have to do something about it. You cannot sit by idly and continue to watch it happen and yet be able to put your head on the pillow at night. That's who I am. That is why I do what I do. And I believe every doctor listening to this or who will listen to this, that's the reason why they put their name on their medical school application is to help people. Yeah. And when you really know that there is a big problem when you are a reductionist, a mechanist, in terms of science, because that's what science really all is about. The scientific method itself is a problem. Think about how crazy that may sound to somebody. Yeah. But it is. The way we study things is the humongous problem. Mm. In fact, mm. I think it's the number one problem that has led medicine astray. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, this just popped into my mind there now. I mean, first thing I want to say is that this is just the way I, I will, for, for a long time I've taught anyway, is that w most criticisms are based off false assumptions. So when, when I hear people criticizing someone or someone's work, I'm always like, have you gone and actually spoke to this person? Have you like interacted with any way to, to make sure that you're fully understanding the message they're trying to portray? But second of all, just as you spoke there, and I've actually heard you say this in our podcast, and this thought did come into my mind, is that you know, I've heard you say, like, listen, for the first, I think it was 12, 13 years while you were a neurosurgeon, you know, you, you, you wanted to uh, help people. And now you're like, I don't want to help people. I want to, like, help people help themselves now. And I realized that the first decade or so of my career as a neurosurgeon, like, I was actually harming more people than I was helping because of the model that I was operating off. So do, do, you, do you feel, this is just a question to you now that popped in my head, do you feel that nearly the way that you do put your message out there in that sort of almost, you know, I'm going to say like, fuck you mentality is, oh. is it, it's, it's almost a subconscious anger you have towards your profession. Like that fuck for a decade, I was actually harming people thinking I was doing it right because essentially what I learned in school was, was horseshit. Well, I, I'm going to give you a, a very nuanced answer. I think 12 years ago, I would have said yes to okay. that. Answer. I think today I look at it differently. I think about myself as a patient, not a doctor back then. 
I was in a haze too. Like when I got hurt and didn't know how this happened to me, I thought immediately to myself, um, it was the first time I actually put myself as a patient, not a doctor. Because, you know, when you're a physician, yeah. you always have the doctor mindset. The crazy thing is that first time in your life when you get put in the patient mindset, and that's what gave me a chance to self-reflect and go, you know, if this could happen to me, this has got to happen to everybody else. And just for, and, the li- just for listeners, this is when you tore your meniscus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when, when that happened, it really opened my eyes to – it was like putting Windex on my glass eyes. Yeah. It's when I realized that, you know, I need to do this differently. And you know what woke me up, Robbie? It was somebody kicking me in the crotch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and telling me something. Here I was, a really smart guy, thought that I shit ice cream. And this <laughs> young lady from San Diego dropped this nuclear weapon really in my lap to explain to me that everything that I thought was true really wasn't. And when that happened to me, I was like, you know, this was really effective. Uh, just, just, just really, I'm always fascinated how the papers she gave you and uh, the Mokasol's Rari triggered like this whole fucking adventure or this whole journey. Like, well, it's, what you just, it's what you just said earlier. I, I mean, you'll understand it. I think when I tell you what I tell you, she was trying to give me a certain message. In other words, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I took it completely different way. So why is that important based on what you just said before about social media? Here's the thing. We have to listen to each other with intent. So we have to define the terms. See, she never defined the terms for me. And she was trying to tell me, hey, look, Amgen and their links to Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie and Henry Ford and all that jazz was why they were doing what they're doing. She felt that she wanted to exact revenge on that industry. Mm. And it turns out, that that's not how I took it at all. In fact, I took it completely from my perspective, which was, hey, could this be an answer to the reason why the paradigm of medicine is failing? And that's exactly how it went down. So (laughs) it's kind of ironic that you posed the question the way you did, because hopefully it helps people to understand why you can misinterpret people on social media. I personally think social media is great for a lot of different reasons, because In fact, it's allowed you and I to do now two podcasts so that we can interact and share ideas. But the one thing that we never talk about is how social media is a detriment. You know, when it gets to the light story, um, people begin to understand that. That's why when you said earlier, Jack, why do you have this fuck you mentality on social media? Why do you try to get people through fear? Listen, fear for me is something that you should never listen to. It's the thing that should build your curiosity. And the problem is that's what a black swan does. People always ask me, why do you use this term black swan? Black swan is rare nature. The, the things that we're talking about right now, I'm basically trying to tell you, Robbie, the single most important thing in optimal health is being able to think through choices properly and make the correct choices more often than not. That is the key. And guess what? When you live in a blue lit microwaved RF world, Globally, there's maybe 70 to 100,000 people that are in the world that are going to listen to your podcast that I'm trying to resonate with. I don't give a flying fuck about the rest. Why? What did I learn in evolutionary history? About 70,000 years ago in the southern tip of Africa, things got really bad on this planet and we got down to about 70 to 100,000. From that 70 to 100,000, that day, three or four million years ago, we now have 
8 billion obedient idiots on the planet. So guess what that tells Jack? That I don't need everybody to get this. I just need the right people to get this. And it turns out the right people to Jack, and this is what offends people on social media, are the people who are intensely curious. The people that are willing to do kind of what you're doing now. You know, listen to me in 2012, really examine what I'm saying, and then come back to me six years later and have another conversation and say, well, let me tell you where I am in the evolution of my thought on your stuff yeah. and to see where I think you're right and where you're wrong. And, and I respect the fact that the way you frame this, I love chaos, Robbie. I absolutely love the skeptics, the critics. They fuel my passion and desire. I, I, I can't explain to you enough. And it shocks people when I tell them this. My members who've met me and spent time with me, you know, they're like, I can't believe this would, you know, this is something that you revel in. Yes, I absolutely do. I absolutely love it. The more, the better, because it gives me a chance to really undress the person that's trying to undress me. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, you're not doing this to tear that person down. You know what you're doing it for, Robbie? Think about all the people that follow you and follow me on Twitter. And when we go back and forth and the things they share and they see my perspective and they go, those are the people that I'm looking to resonate with. In other words, the people that are watching the fight who actually are beginning to see how the argument of one and the argument of the other really don't marry up. And to see the two people fighting, they're usually embroiled in. I'll give you a perfect example. The other day, somebody sent me a, a Rogan podcast to look at between Chris Kresser and Joel Kahn, you know, a oh, vegan. Oh, gee, Jack. Dude, I see. The I fucking worst, that. the worst part. So right. my friend said to me, I said, that podcast was dreadful. I was like, hey. right. I totally agree with you. And you know what? I made a comment on Twitter about it. And, you know, I, I took a lot of hell from it for a lot of the paleo people. And I said, look, if Chris Kresser is your expert for the paleo diet, you have a lot of problems. And the other guy, well, for, for me, it was fucking boat ways. It was just like, I, for me, I was just like, are we still talking about this shit? Like, right, what? exactly. And the, the other guy, I, I didn't even bother critiquing because he's so off that, you know, my people as black swans already know it. But the reason why I thought it was good for people to go look at, I said, go listen to Cresser versus Khan and see the argument. In other words, they both got into it together. The point I'm trying to make to you, Robbie, the wise, just like you, sitting in there eating the popcorn, they're going to pick up. They're going to start going, you know, I can see now why Cruz says what he says about this, that, and the other thing. And see, the thing is, Robbie, those are the people that I'm looking to collect as starfish. Those are the people that I want to help get to that next level of understanding. Not everybody is going to want to do that. That's why I told you before, optimal health, I said this in my band TED Talk, is a choice. And the thing is, I'm looking for those people that are so freaking curious that the things that they know that they believe, I'm going to teach them how to every December to sit down and oil all the parts of what they think they know and find out where the edge of their knowledge is. And I'm going to teach them to go even deeper. <clears throat> just writing notes there i love it i love it what what's what's coming to my head is bring it fucking on <laughs> when you were like i love it just bring it fucking on just one one thing i want to show you there i don't know if you can see my video but uh just this book this uh, this is heavy reading 
Yeah, well, that, I'm glad you uh, you put that up there because you remember the last time we talked? If you think about all the things that we talked about then and all the things I was saying, remember that book that you just picked up didn't isn't, exist. Didn't didn't exist. exist. Yeah, you right? you uh, you spent like so you were saying. I uh, heard you on another podcast going. I fucking spent twenty thousand dollars printing all this shit off, and now it's all in books for you people to get for like eighty dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. hundred bucks you can get it. And see, that's see. Here's the beauty. That's the power of technology. That's that's the benefit of you being a young guy, you know, up at a high latitude, so that you can open this up. And it's the history of light in cells, biophotons, yeah. for the last hundred twenty years. And when you read it, you go. How the hell are we not using this in medicine? This is like so fundamental to what everything is. And the thing is, I was the guy on social media that brought this to everybody's attention. Mm. I want you to think about that for a minute. You know, if I didn't do, if I wasn't the prick that everybody thinks I am, <laughs> you would never know about this. You're, you're an awful asshole, Jack. An awful. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, I wear my asshole badge as a... As a is a proud moment. The yeah. reason why yeah. pick that shit up, pick that shit up off the ground and wear it, man. Well, this is why I want to get back to what you said earlier. You said, why do you do this? This is the reason why Robbie, because guess what? I got a guy now in Ireland who picked up a book that he probably would have never picked up ever in his life. You read it and you go, you know what? This is kind of important. Now you realize, okay, here's the light side. Then you get to the water side and Wait till you get to the magnetism side. You're going to be like, and just remember, you, you're always going to come back when you put that BBC channel on and it says that NASA and the, the guys in the EU, what are the three things they look for life? Light, water, light, and water magnetism. Yeah. So all, all of a sudden, the crazy neurosurgeon in New Orleans, maybe he wasn't so crazy, you know, six years ago. Yeah. I, again, as I said earlier on, and as, as you've answered now as to why you do mess, do put your message out the way you do, I think it's just coming down to the messaging. Like I think again, I, one of my favorite books, Jack is the four agreements. Uh, I love that book. And one of the agreements is, um, don't, don't take anything personally. And like in that, he says, you can only choose to be offended. And I think again, what a lot of people do with a lot of people's message, a lot of the messages that certain people put out is they let themselves get offended by the message. And then that insecurity within them welds up and they go, oh, well, he's a quack. It's just like this defensive, like, just like this completely non-cognitive, just completely reactive statement. Oh, he's a quack. Just blah. Robbie, what you're describing is human nature. It's part of the reason why yeah. I mentioned Trump earlier because I try to take it out of science and put it to politics. I want people to realize it happens in all different parts of life. And we, it, he happens in your family. Yeah. It happens with yeah. your friends. And the thing is, I think the more that we talk about this, you know, in very general terms, maybe some of the, the critics and skeptics will start to do like what you did, open up a book that they've never even knew existed, read it and go, yeah. okay, how does carbohydrates explain this? By the way, that that fucking book I had to track down. I I bought it off some like medical pharmaceutical company that were actually based in Dublin. Never heard of them. And uh, like it was funny too because when I ordered it, the, the, like I got this like email from the girl. And she's like, hey, "And you medical student?" And I was like, "No, I'm just curious." And she goes, "Well, okay, whatever." She's just like, "Cause it's a very expensive book and all." And I was like, "Yeah, just send it to me." And they they don't even have it in print on that website anymore, right? and you can't get it on Amazon or anywhere. So I got lucky when I got it. But uh, yeah, you're right. Pollock's book is on its way now, and uh, I've actually read. Um, Becker's book, but it was actually a friend of mine. Yeah, I remember there's several. Yeah, Becker. Body Electric, the one that's that's the only Becker you book. Can read I read them all, though. 
you, yeah. you really need to read them all. But that one, the, the, when you do read it, I'm going to tell you strongly to focus in on his experiments on bone. And when you read those, especially after talking to a guy like me and reading what was in Roland Van Wick's book, yeah. you're going to look back and go, now I understand why Jack was moved. Because guess what? Becker was the guy. Basically, all his papers, what I learned in residency about bone physiology. In fact, yeah. one of the most important things I can ever say on a podcast, it'll offend every orthopedic surgeon, but that's good. They completely misunderstand Becker's work. And the thing is, uh, they go back to older work, which is called Wolf's Law. Wolf's Law is completely um, non-material in the modern world. In a, in a 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, and 5G world. And the reason why is in those experiments that Becker did. That's the reason I'm pointing it out to you. Yeah. Because when you do read it and you do see that collagen and water are basically topologic insulators that emit light. And when you see that he uses the word photoelectric effect, you're going to go, wait a minute. I have never heard. And when you realize that these research papers were written in the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. Then you start to go, no wonder orthopedic and neurosurgery spine guys have this completely ass backwards. Yeah, it's fucking, it's, fa it's fascinating. It, it, I think what's shocking too is that like he was American because usually it was the Russians that always came up with that shit first. <laughs> well, guess what though? He, if you look at Becker, the reason why he was amazing is, uh, I, and this is how I changed me. I actually learned the lesson by reading his work. Mm. He was intensely curious about going and reading a lot of different things. Like when you read Body Electric, he's going to talk about Dr. Burr from Yale. And this guy was a, a guy that was almost considered a quack in the 1920s, but he worked, he worked with a whole bunch of people. It's my wife. Let me just turn her off. <laughs> uh, the, um, what I was saying about Burr is he worked with plants and what he found is that every single plant tested when an uh, animal, like an insect bit it, it released a DC electric current. And back in the 20s, everybody who was a critic of him said, there's no way that a plant has electricity. And they would blame it, oh, your instruments weren't sensitive enough. This was an artifact, da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, Becker kept doing this and he kept reading it. And when he did his seminal experiments and found that the same thing was true in animals, he immediately knew that the crazy quack guy that was run out of town was right. So what did he do? He built the way he studied things around kind of what he realized was true. Like, in other words, he felt that he had to prove what already had been proven in the literature because nobody believed it. So think about when I explain to you why I have such respect for Becker, I'm trying to do and emulate the same thing because yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. So I think what, what's good for, for the listeners, I'll, I'll put links to all the books you recommend because they can go do that background reading and, and kind of start to formulate their own conclusions. But what I'd like to do for the rest of our conversation is just get down to a little more of the mechanisms of a lot of the, um, of, of a lot of the, the factors that you put forth. So one that I'm really curious about and I'd love you to um, expand on is basically how food gives information to the mitochondria in terms of like an electron spin and the uh, cytochrome protein. So, you know, uh, cytochrome one to four and then ATPAs and, and all that physiology. So could, could you explain that more to us, Jack? So like, you know, 
basically circadian biology, food, seasonal food, and what is happening at an electron level, and what yeah. is going what is going on in the inner mitochondrial membrane with those proteins. Uh, the first thing I want you to do when I describe this to you, you have to suspend before you listen to this part of the podcast. Suspend anything about carbohydrates, lipids, and yeah. Protein. yeah. Just remove that, it from your mind. Yeah, get that out of your foot. Get that out of your fucking head. I loved on one podcast you were like. If someone, if, if anyone else comes up to me and says carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, I'm out of here. I, I, actually, one thing, one thing you said resonated. You were like, it's not called the carbohydrate uh, uh, transport chain or the fat transport chain or the. Right. It's called. It's true. And you know the thing is, any food guru, you can show their ignorance when you say open up a biochemistry book. Anybody in the world, Rob, you can open up a biochemistry book. The input to mitochondria is called electron chain transport. So, what's the first question I ask? You know the ignorant. How much you know about electrons? And, you know, it's usually radio silence. They know what an electron is, but they really don't know what an electron does in a mitochondria. Yeah. So it turns out that mitochondria have really two main functions. They separate charges from food. They strip electrons and they actually strip protons. We have three dehydrogenases in um, uh, the mitochondrial matrix that their single goal is to strip out hydrogen. Turns out the type of hydrogen they strip also is tied to its spin. Most food gurus don't know that. You know, most regular people have no clue. It also turns out that when you have this perspective, you immediately realize that food is an electromagnetic footprint of photosynthesis. Why? Because the entire food web, let's talk about this again, Robbie, the entire food web, that means every food on this planet with the exception of manufactured food, is controlled by the photosynthetic process, the Rubisco enzyme. Mm. How much do you food gurus know about that? This is where you as the lay public need to begin with your experts. If they can't answer that basic question, they're not a fucking expert, okay? They know dick about dick, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's axiomatic. That is a black swan position. And, and, and Jack, just for curious people and people listening, where could they read up on that? Uh, pretty much almost any biochemistry book has the, the uh, mitochondrial matrix laid out. I would tell you the easiest thing, because we have so many people that are addicted to technology, go to the Khan Academy and look at the mitochondrial matrix, look at the outer mitochondrial matrix. You just got to get a basic understanding of how mitochondria work. But then when you move back to the food, what I want you to think about is you're a supermarket. I want you to think about the barcodes that we have, like when barcodes go over it, and then the prices show up, and we add everything up. That's exactly what food is to a mitochondria. Okay. The barcode reader is the mitochondria. The, the, the barcode on the food is actually the electrons and protons in that food. Yeah. And it turns out, depending on where you live on the globe, the electrons and protons get a spin. And electron spin is something very difficult to explain to people, but it's easier when you understand this. When it comes to protons, the major spin difference is we have three forms of hydrogen on this planet, tritium, uh, deuterium, and then protium, which is light hydrogen. Turns out the spin number between those isotopes of hydrogen are different. Mitochondria favor the lightest version of hydrogen, meaning it's protium or H+. So your mitochondrial matrix is racist to H+. That's all it's interested in dealing with. Turns out that our blood plasma, 
tends to like deuterium. It likes the different quantum spin number there for a different totally reason. Now, when it gets to electrons, one of the things you learn when you get into a physics book and you read about the basic subatomic particles, the electron is only, only interacts with light. It doesn't interact with anything else. So that's the basis of the photoelectric effect, which is why I teach people about the photoelectric effect. It turns out that light can change the orbital angular momentum and the spin. So it turns out that sunlight, mm. as the power densities of seasons change, program electrons differently. So that means that an electron in December 31st in Ireland mm -hmm. has a completely different quantum spin state than one that's on June 21st. So, so that, that's, why, that's why eating that banana in December causes chaos in the mitochondria, which is inflammation. Exactly correct. And the key is that your body knows, and I mean, when I say your body, I'm talking about the colony of mitochondria in you knows that no bananas can physically grow at the 59th latitude because it's sensing the light through your eye and through your skin. I fucking, I fucking love bananas though. That's okay. You can still love something that's not good for you. You just have to realize that as long as you want to pay the biologic toll, go for it. Um, the key is when you understand that the photosynthetic web is built this way because light and water determine the photosynthetic process, you start to go, okay, this is beginning to make some sense now. So the point that I try to make to people, I said, go back to third grade. Everybody in third grade learn about photosynthesis. What is photosynthesis fundamentally? You don't need to know much. This is all you need to know. You take a gas in the atmosphere, CO2, you take water, and you take sunlight, you make sugar. Okay? Everybody knows that. This, this is not even controversial to the ignorant food girl. But what do they all forget? The, the mitochondrial matrix, something called oxidative phosphorylation that most people have heard of in the food world, it reverses the process of photosynthesis. In other words, it takes sugars and breaks them down to what? CO2 and water inside your cell. Turns out the water inside your cell also is racist. It doesn't like deuterium. It doesn't like the quantum spin state of deuterium. It really likes H+. So the water that's made at the place that all the food gurus stop, they stop at you know beta oxidation, the TCA cycle, the urea cycle. They don't realize where those two cycles meet at the outer mitochondrial membrane, a place called Krebs bicycle, has to be surrounded by water that has H2O and the H has to be H+. Mm -hmm. If there's any deuterium at that place, meaning the quantum spin state is off, the whole process of biochemistry that the food gurus think always is operational does not work. And that's why you're saying people in Australia are fucked with their water because it's full of deuterium. Well, it's not that it's full of deuterium. Remember the way deuterium works. At the equator, we have the highest levels of deuterium in foods and plants. Okay? At the poles, like where you are, you, your water that is used in the photosynthetic web has the lowest amount. Do you know the reason why? No, I was, actually, I was about to say why. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you have shitty light up there. Think about where you are right now. It's October 5th when we're doing this. Yeah. Right now, you can see the sun. I don't know if you can see me, but the sun is, is beating down on me. It's probably already 85, 87 degrees here, Fahrenheit. So, And it's October 5th, okay? So I'm at the 28th latitude. 
you're at the 59th latitude. Yeah. Um, the sun there cannot power the photosynthetic process mm. if it had a ton of deuterium. Why? Because deuterium has double the atomic mass. Well, what, what does light do? It moves things with mass. It turns out the number one dominant form of sunlight is red light. Red light is the thing that moves things with mass. Well, if you double the weight of something, mm. Robbie, how successful would you be inside the mitochondrial matrix and moving shit around? You'd be really unsuccessful, which is the reason why mitochondria have chosen to be racist to their quantum spin state of hydrogen. So it turns out at the equator, when sunlight never varies, let's, let's get this straight, Robbie. I want you to understand this. Yeah. Sunlight never varies at the equator. In other words, the seasons, the power density is almost equivalent. And here's the other thing that people don't realize. is 12 hours of sunlight on the equator. It doesn't vary like it varies right now where you are. Where you are in a couple of months, it's going to get dark at 3.30 in the afternoon. I got news for you. It never gets that dark at the equator. So guess what? That means things, living systems that have mitochondria or chloroplasts can tolerate higher levels of deuterium when you get closer to the equator. Guys like you can't. That's the real reason yeah. why eating the banana yeah, yeah. on December 31st is completely fucking psychotic when you really understand science. Mm. And these are not Jack Cruz's opinions. These, this is the bias of nature that I told you about before. And the problem is your food gurus do not have this level of sophistication. They do not understand how everything ties back to light water magnetism inside a chloroplast and inside your mitochondria. And once you understand that a chloroplast is built to make sugar and your mitochondria is turned around to burn sugar and fats and proteins and all that bullshit, but it does it by separating out electrons and protons. What effectively is a mitochondria? It is an accountant for electrons and protons and it orders them. And that's how your body gains information from the environment to know what the power density is on your trip around the sun. That's how the colony of mitochondria in your tissues understand its environment. Just regarding electron spin, like is that specific term mentioned in biochemistry books? Or again, is that something you'd have to look up in research Uh, or or heavier physics? It's not in biochemistry books. It's in biophysics books. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just, books are now available yeah uh, unfortunately i'd say prior to like i'd say prior to maybe five years ago th- those books were are almost unheard of in, in medical school curriculums um phds know about them yeah. but now you can start buying these books uh out there to learn about electron spin most people probably learn about electron spin from reading physics books but when you read a physics books it's way different to understand electron spin from a physics perspective than it is from biophysics perspective. I, I got you i got you and like just and and it, this is just like because i'm trying to facilitate a question to the listener so that again that they're understand and for me too it's me to understand more um but like is electron spin like a fact like it's definitely a factor in physics uh i love the question but i'm going to tell you that the question is incomplete just so you understand yeah. 
Yeah. All truths are approximations of what we know right now. That's true. That, well, that's what that's the whole field of statistics. I mean, uh, was it Newtonian physics only got us as far as it could in terms of mechanistics and calculus? But then, if we went further to subatomical particles, it was like it was like before Newtonian physics, we were all uncertain, and it was like God did all this. And then, like when when, Newton, when Newton came, it was like, oh no, it's all science. And then when it went to quantum physics, it was, oh bollocks, we're back to probability again. Right. And that's part of the reason why I'm going to tell you the same thing. This is the black swan coming out in me. That's why I, I stopped. Jack, I, I respect that too. I respect you know, that because, because a lot of people like in your position would be like, Oh no, they get emotional. Oh, it's fact. What I'm saying is true. Cause I'm insecure and I need to show my self worth in this universe and say that everything I say is truth. And that I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm too insecure to say I could be wrong. Whereas you've turned around now and like have, you know, you're in such a, uh, a mature sort of mindset that you're like, listen, honestly, can't can't say for sure because nothing in this universe is for sure so i i completely respect that yeah i, I would tell you based on what we know now uh, love it. I, I love that i love that word and by the way based on because i all say that i all say my current belief on what i currently know because i know that i have a shit ton of gaps in my knowledge right and th- then i would tell you that electron spin is pretty well known and well accepted Great. especially in physics and in biophysics okay um and it's 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 when you look at the experiments tied to it it's kind of amazing, but the cool thing that's going on right now, if you really want to learn a lot about electron spin, because I will direct your listeners, in 20, October of 2016, the uh, Nobel Prize in Physics was given for topologic insulators. Mm-hmm. It turns out that topologic insulators have this really unusual thing. It actually is a 3D atomic structure that has 2D electric uh, potential. In other words, it allows electrons to have low resistance and the reason why this occurs is due to very unusual quantum effects of electron spin. And it turns out that after you get through reading Becker's books, like when you read everything, you're going to say, shit, how did all this happen? Yeah. I'm going to tell you the shortcut you'll never read in Becker's books is because what Becker was describing without knowing the information is that he was studying uh, electron spin topologic insulators. Can, can, you, can you explain what that is, a topological in, uh, insulator? Yeah, actually allows 3d dimensional change and 2d electric change in other words it allows your surfaces to do some amazing things utilizing the spin state of electrons and protons and this is the reason why one of the other controversial things that i've said between our two talks you probably have never heard me say this but my members have i've i've said that with time as as science gets laid out that it will be shown that what happens on the surfaces, meaning our eyes and our skin, will be the dominant thing that changes the biochemical perspective. Because right now, the food guru believes that all biochemical pathways occur statically, no matter what, oxidation is not dynamic. In other words, it happens the way it happens mechanistically. It turns out we now know that's physically not true, but none of them know it. I have, I have heard you say this, so uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, is this when I've heard you say that biochemistry at the skin level is different than it is like deeper down in, in, inside a tissue? Like I think you were saying something like that, that biochemistry yeah. isn't the same at I different levels. Why is it turns out that your skin is the largest organ in your body, so yeah. that means it's also the largest topologic insulator in your body. So the interactions between sunlight on your skin, which was the focus of my Vermont 2018 and 2017 talk, Yes. You can find the 2017 talk on YouTube. You'll have to join my Patreon to find the 2018 one. Um, this is the latest science. This is, this is what I would consider for your listeners, the cutting edge. 
to yeah. learn about topologic insulators, you will have to do what I did before Roland Van Wick's book. You'll have to go and read the literature because there is no good book yet yeah. out for the lay public on this. But the point that I'm trying to illuminate to you is that if the Nobel Prize for Physics was given for topologic insulators, and remember, when you read the Nobel release, you'll see that they're talking about graphene and things to build quantum computers and things to build new solar panels, things in industry. Well, what they don't realize, that Mother Nature used and built topologic insulators. Every single thing that's magnetically stored in your DNA is a hydrated topologic insulator mm. that does different things in your body. And the reason why I make this point to you is to understand topologic insulators, you have to understand electrons, yeah. you have to understand electron spin, you have to understand protons, and you have to understand proton spin, which is part of the reason why I teach black swans. It's part of the reason why I get so aggravated when I'm on podcasts and people want to talk about the stuff that Khan and Kresser were talking about. And I sit there and just say, you guys are not moving the needle for anybody at all. You know, it's so, it's so funny. It, it, it's really so worked. Yeah. Let, me, let me say this. This is important. Yeah, go ahead. If it really worked, we would never have any problems on planet Earth. You know the reason why? 250 to 500 diet books are written every year. So just by chance alone, we would have stumbled on something that works. But you know what the problem is that people don't get? 500 years ago, when Michelangelo and uh, da Vinci said that food is our medicine, they were right. Because you know what? The environment back then was completely dictated by native EMF from the sun. Today, that is no longer true because it's dominated by non-native EMF. And guess what? That means that your mitochondria no longer can, can decipher the appropriate environmental signals. Therefore, it has problems. The fidelity of the signal between electron spin and proton spin in your mitochondria is now defective because of electromagnetic pollution around you. Okay? So food can't be your medicine today. It's helpful as a first step. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that everything Rob Wolf and Chris Kresser teach everybody is total horseshit. No. It's the same reason why I have problems with Tim Noakes and Siegfried and Asim Malhotra and, you know, Ivor Cummings, who's one of your engineer guys. They believe that nutritional ketosis 24-7 is the key. It's not the key, okay? Mm. It's, it's a part. It's, to use the Pink Floyd term, it's another brick in the wall. But when you don't have a larger context to understand why uh, ketosis maybe for half the year may be beneficial based on where you live, then you don't know because the ultimate reason is tied to the power density that's around you. So that means the power density in Dublin compared to the power density in San Francisco are radically different. That means that the fuel that you put in your Ferrari engine likely is going to be radically different in that environment. And that gets back to the point that I try to make to you before Robbie about you at the 59th latitude and me at the 28th latitude with respect to the banana. You're beginning to see that that example that I gave you six years ago now has some real practical applications in an electromagnetic polluted world because guess what? When you understand that nature fundamentally works on four seasons, the further you get from the equator, power density varies, therefore the photosynthetic web varies, but at the equator it doesn't. But when you introduce electromagnetic pollution, what's the fastest way to improve your mitochondrial health if you're following this argument? Get as close to the equator as you possibly can because it improves the fidelity of the native signals and diminishes 
the electromagnetic pollution so that your mitochondria can listen to the symphony of nature and not listen to the bullshit that Google puts in your environment. Yeah, yeah. So I, again, I've, I've got plenty of questions. Just first off, how, how ironic is it that Pink Floyd's album cover is that light spectrum prism? <laughs> Do you know what I, mean? well, I don't think it's ironic at all. I think that's what they, they were able to tap their intuition. Yeah, uh, back then time. in the 60s, they, that's when we started to go off the rails. And yeah. using, you go back and look at some of the words of those songs, and you also have to understand Pink Floyd. I mean, I happen to be, this will show you how I think. When I started out, I liked Pink Floyd music, but I went back and found out why Roger Waters and um, what's his name? I'm blanking on his name, the guitarist. Why they, why they wrote the way they did. When I found out about Sid Barrett, who was their original singer, and how they went from Dark Side of the Moon, which was probably their best album initially, then they came out with their next al album, that made them even more famous. I never realized that Sid Barrett's devolvement into low dopamine activities affected Waters and and um, the guitar player tremendously. Those guys never used drugs after that, after they saw what happened to Sid Barrett. And if you look at the words that they wrote in their songs, I think they, they were expressing the intuitive sense about the electromagnetic fact of how Sid became you know schizophrenic and it was because of his blue light and non-ADMEF exposure and if you ever go back and watch the documentary it's it's incredibly instructive how their singer in one weekend went off on a bender came back and literally the lights were on and no one was home yeah. and when these guys had finished Dark Side of the Moon they were famous they had already fired Sid because he couldn't he couldn't function in the world. Um, the guitar player stepped up, became the singer. He was not uncomfortable. He was not comfortable doing it. And it turned out when they went in to do the next album, they all said we had no earthly idea what we were going to do. All they had was four notes from wish you were here. Mm -hmm. And they kept playing it. And then one day this really big fat guy who looked like uncle Fester showed up <laughs> in, in the, the studio in London and he was fucking around with all their instruments and finally the guitar player I'm blanking on his name it's embarrassing um, he said who's that guy toying around and the manager Pink Floyd says you don't know who that is none of them said no and they said that's Sid and they were like and you have to you have to realize if you look at the before Sid and the after we're talking about from 1968 to right now about 1974 this guy went from a true rock star look to a guy that looked like uncle fester mm, mm. Uh, from the blue light damage, the electromagnetic damage. And guess what? All they had to do this next album was those four notes. And they wrote that song about him, yeah. about what happened that day that changed the trajectory of that band. Yeah. Most people don't even know this story about pink Floyd. And the reason why, like I have uh, right over here, I have a fire pit that's, 15 feet tall and on one of the corners it says shine on your crazy diamond you know why do, it's cut do, in a plasma cutter on my fire pit yeah because of this story because it was something that i learned that was seminal to this story about how melatonin and dopamine are affected by the electromagnetic 
potential. And yet, guys who know shit, just like hippos and lions know shit, who are musicians from the UK, actually were able to translate that message into music that we all love. The crazy part is, we all love it, and no, none of us, maybe until today, know the story of how it was made. Yeah. This, to me, is very similar to what I just said to you about food and how it's an electromagnetic footprint, and nobody realizes it. Yeah. We just accept food for how we understand it in our reality. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you, I see the deeper meaning in things because I'm intensely curious. When I learned this about Pink Floyd, I turned all my members onto Pink Floyd. And I don't think it's ironic that that prism is on the album. I think it's there. You said it earlier. Mm. Jack, things happen for a reason. Sometimes we don't always know the reason until we know it. Yeah, yeah. That's the reason why. Definitely interesting, Larry, for sure. The just so you know, I don't know if you're uh, uh, your video's off, but like that's okay because we're only doing audio. Just in case you thought it was on, oh, but I that's why that's fine now because your your audio's coming out great, so you can leave it. It's fine. But uh, Rodopson, am I saying that correctly? Did you predict, yep. did, did you predict? Or say, because I think I heard in another podcast, the Extreme Health Radio, they had a guy on. He's one of your members, actually. Um, he's, he's English, but he lives down in Australia. He was saying that they thought Rhodoxone was only made in the eye, but now they found out it's peripheral. It's everywhere in the body, like it's in the skin and all. And uh, yeah, It's not Rhodoxone, it's melanopsin. Oh, melanopsin. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe just discuss melanopsin there. And then, um, if we have time, I'd love you to discuss more about heteroplasmic rate in the mitochondria and then obviously 5G and, and freaks. I know you touched a little bit on the frequency that the mitochondria function out there. Um, I'd love you to go through that. And... Um, yeah, just to go through that, because I'm fascinated by this, like that the mitochondria like basically operates at a certain frequency and how obviously, you know, the electromagnetic fields that we're currently in are wreaking havoc on that. And then obviously maybe some, some solutions to that as well. But sorry, melanopsin, yeah, can you just maybe touch on that? Because did you predict that they'll find that that actually is not just through the eye, it's going to be found yeah, in the skin? And I all did. That. Was, that was the whole point. I've done um, a series of talks in Vermont at Nourish Vermont. The first one was in 2016. Mm on what we talked about earlier it, it was on blowing up the food paradigm utilizing yeah. they're, great, they're, they're great talks i'll put them in the show notes i've watched them a few times and the second one is uh 2017 which was about the eye well 2018 was about the skin and ah, uh, you're not going to be able to find this unless you sign on and become a patron on my site yeah. and that's by design I'm, I'm interested in finding people who have skin in the game i want yeah. you want to know about melanopsin you need to watch that video Cool. Because melanopsin is a topologic insulator. And this story ties all the way back to something that, Robbie, you probably have heard me say in other podcasts, like when I first got on the internet with Jimmy Moore and I talked about leptin. Mm -hmm. One of the crazy things about leptin is that it's found in our sub-Q fat. It goes into our hypothalamus at midnight, turns things on, and, and we know that it controls all growth and metabolism in humans. Well, here is where I was in, in 15 years ago. When I learned about leptin for the first time when I tore my knee meniscus, this is, tells you why it's instructive to this story. I found out the whole story about leptin at that time, and I realized immediately, I said, why in the hell would evolution or God put this kind of hormone in our subcutaneous fat? This doesn't make any sense at all based on what I've learned. So instead of deriding it, I held the fact that I didn't know shit about and decided to study a little bit more. Then... In my search in the literature, I found out that melanopsin 
was found in 1998 in the eye. And melanopsin is actually an opsin, like any other, like the one you mentioned before, a rhodopsin. And what most people don't know is that all opsins in the eukaryotic kingdom are always bound to vitamin A, something called retinol. Okay, and that's how they work. They have two, two different parts. The interesting thing about rhodopsin is that it has a different chemical structure than melanopsin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Melanopsin is made out of seven alpha helical uh, sheets, and it's the only opsin in uh, eukaryotic evolution that actually shows it's very, very old. And in fact, it's related to invertebrate opsins, but yet it's in every single eukaryote for the last 600 million years. Well, we found out definitively, and again, I'm going to tell you the truth is approximations, but we now know that all humans have melanopsin in their eye. So it turns out melanopsin is a blue light detector. Yes. Okay. So when I found this out, I said, why in the hell would nature put a blue light detector really close to our supercosmetic nucleus? And of course, I unraveled the story. You know the deal yeah. that it's tied to actually how the circadian clock mechanism in the eye works. So when I learned about leptin, I was like, wait a minute, if we have this hormone in our sub-Q fat, we have to have another photoreceptor. In other words, this was a logical jumping off point for me to make a prediction on something I didn't know shit about. So I said, for this to make sense, there has to be an optical light detector in our skin. Mm. So recently, uh, right before I went to Vermont, in fact, the night before I went to Vermont, I, gave, I did a podcast with two of my members. And, and 40 of my members who came to see the talk. And I explained to them that if you listen to my old work, my old podcast, you'll hear that I mentioned Suzanne Summers, who wrote a book in 1991 called Breakthrough. Yeah. She made a comment on a page that said, doctors found in Germany that when you took one of those little old pen lights that drug reps used to give us, um, and you shined it on the back of the knee on their skin, their melatonin would turn off. And I thought to myself, this is the craziest kind of bullshit one could imagine. Yeah. So when I thought about it further, and when I read this, I was like, wait a minute, this is actually proof that there is an optical detector in the skin, but we don't know what it is. So I held that concept in my mind for a really, really long time. And in 2014, I was rewarded paper came out that showed us that melanopsin is in the arterioles of our skin. And I was like, well, if it's in the arterioles of our skin, I know it's only a matter of time before it's going to be found in our skin and in our sub-Q fat. Because guess what? This sub-Q fat thing is the key to understanding leptin. Mm -hmm. Don't you think in December 2017, the paper came out and I sat back and had the biggest freaking shit grin face you've <laughs> Because it turns face. out, turns out that a belief that I couldn't prove 15 years ago turned out to be true. And how did I start to talk off in Vermont? I told everybody in the audience, I said, I've been waiting to give this talk for 15 years to tell you. And the first slide is that you, Robbie, if you want to talk about the biggest frontal kick in the balls that I could give a food guru. It, it said it right there on that, on that talk. It said, on this slide, I'm going to say something that's going to offend everybody in the room, that melanopsin dysfunction is the tie to every chronic disease malady that humans have today. Mm. And today, you're going to learn why I believe that. And 
with that, it was a fire hose talk on all the things that's been pent up in Jack's head about this whole thing. In other words, it, it links melanopsin to leptin. You'll, you'll begin to understand how leptin truly works when you understand melanopsin. And basically, all you need to know about melanopsin is the key topologic insulator in our skin and in our eye. And what it does is when melanopsin breaks free of its covalent bond from retinol, the retinol becomes, how shall I say this, like a nuclear weapon in the tissues that it's in. And it mutates. It's designed to be very controlled by the circadian mechanism. Uh, and the same thing is true in the eye. The retinol cycle, the vitamin A cycle in the brain, is absolutely critical to melatonin levels, to sleep, and um, to the circadian mechanism. In other words, the fidelity of the circadian mechanism. When you understand this, what does a broken retinol cycle do to all opsins? That means rhodopsin, melanopsin, even neuropsin. It destroys the photoreceptor. So, Robbie, if you destroy the photoreceptor, that means leptin has no way to be programmed. Yeah, yeah. That's what causes leptin resistance. And that's the reason why leptin cannot enter the hypothalamus at midnight to 1 o'clock when it's completely dark. Uh, and it turns out now all the studies have linked melanopsin to melatonin levels. People don't realize Very that melatonin is first made in the eye and then it's made locally in the skin as well from a combination of UVA and infrared A light. That's when you find out that the UVA detector in the skin in the eye is something called neuropsin, another opsin. And when you begin to realize that the UVA uh, receptor is an illumination Receptor. The reason why we use UVA light is because it's an ideal detector as that sun goes around the rock no matter where you are. All of these receptors are directly tied in to the single nucleotide polymorphisms and the single amino acid polymorphisms that we all have that control the haplotype in our mitochondria, meaning that it's like a carburetor of the mitochondria. It controls the flow of light and oxygen into the system. That's the reason why guys like me and you who come from Ireland, we have uncoupled haplotypes like K-type and H-type. Mm. But people that live on the equator have L0 types, meaning that they're tightly coupled. This is the reason why Kenyans win all the marathons everywhere in the world. And guys like uh, Irish people tend not to win those things. They tend to be better because it affects how the body is constructed. It affects your muscle fiber type because believe it or not, the level of melatonin and your mitochondrial haplotype are linked to how much dopamine you can make. This is the reason why dopamine controls muscle fiber type in people. That's the reason why Kenyans who live in, in Nairobi at one degree north latitude, 8,000 feet up in the air, because that's what the elevation is, they're, they get more UV light than anybody on the planet. That's the reason why they're as dark as the ace of spades and they look purple, but it's also the reason why they win every single endurance race on this planet because they are built for that kind of athletic endeavor. Corollary is, who's the fastest man in the world right now? Usain Bolt. He's Jamaican. He lives on top of a volcano in Jamaica. He's publicly said that he can eat shit on a shingle, meaning McDonald's chicken McNuggets, yet he's the fastest man on earth. Guess why? Exactly the reason I just told you. In other words, it's not about the fuel. It's about the engine. And the problem with a food guru is they always focus on the fuel and never focus on the engine. And most of them 
when they go ad hominem on you, they say, well, wait a minute. Can you keep putting bad fuel into a car and it not deride? That is true for a car. It's not true for you. Why? Because a car has no way to upgrade its engine as it goes. But mitochondria do. It's called mitophagy, autophagy, and apoptosis. Guess what controls that process, Robbie? Circadian biology. Mm -hmm. So guess what? It ain't about food, dude. It's always about light, water, magnetism, because that's what controls circadian biology. That is the key. And when you begin to understand that melanopsin dysfunction is the first step in breaking down the circadian mechanism, that's the reason why every paper written right now on melanopsin keeps linking it to low melatonin levels. Yeah. I think even the food gurus know that when your melatonin and cortisol level are screwed up, you can't sleep, you can't sleep, you can't regenerate. When you can't regenerate, guess what happens? When you read Becker's book, you're going to find it out. The DC electric current goes away. That's how it all links, my friend. Damn. We are photoelectric creatures tied to light, all tied to your redox potential. Once you understand that and you start to live in a black swan mitochondriac way because you understand mitochondria well, all of a sudden things start to improve. And they start to improve really quickly. And guess what? You'll actually be able to prove to yourself that when your redox improves, even if you have a really nasty disease, you're going to be able to go and eat things that Rob Wolf says you can't eat. Yeah. And just for like, again, the listeners there, what do you mean by redox potential? It's very simple. It's the overall net negative charge in a cell. Yes. What, is, what, do you, what do you need to know about electrons? What's their charge, Robbie? Negative. Negative. Yeah, so they're what negative. did I basically just say? The more electrons you collect, the more redox you have. What did I say to you about 45 minutes ago? What do electrons interact with? Only one thing, sunlight. Correct? Yes, sir. Right? You starting to see the magic here? Yeah. Sun controls the electron spin in you, and your topologic insulators are all biased to sunlight, not any other part of the electromagnetic spectrum, just mm -hmm. the visible part between 250 and 780. Your mitochondria are fucking experts at that part of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why Pink Floyd put them on the album cover. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, it's funny you, you mentioned that Susan Summers, you know, talking about the light in the back of the kneecap because T.S. Wiley in her book Lights Out, that book came out in like the year 2000. She had that in it too. Like, and uh, like a lot of her predictions in that, she got fucking vilified for that book. So she did. She said people were like, she's a fucking quack. And yeah, but like, she's vilified for it because she had parts of the story right. But this is instructive for you too. This will show you part of the reason why my assholeness is there. I agree with the criticism of her. You know why? Mm. This is what I tell my members. If you can't explain it, it's pseudoscience. Guess what? T.S. Wiley was able to put down some really cool observations, but she had no fundamental understanding of what it is. Why do I have a problem with her? She took her observations and tried to make a business treating people with bioidentical hormones. Yeah, that's true. That's she true. hurt a lot of people. And you know why? Because when you don't understand the process of nature, when you, when you have a half-truth understanding, yeah. you hurt people. This is the reason why I have a problem with food gurus. Because guess what? They're Gosh. doing the same thing that T.S. Wiley did. And it doesn't mean that I have less respect for a food guru or less respect for T.S. Wiley. As a doctor, what's my job, Robbie, is to get the story directionally correct. Yeah, yeah. That's what a black swan does. That's the reason why Jack 
has this asshole streak in him because my belief is to get to the level of understanding that I just laid out for you, you're never going to get there reading a biochemistry book. You're never going to get there listening to Rob Wolf. You're certainly not going to get there listening to Suzanne Summers or T.S. Wilde. You have to go deeper into this science. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if people wanted to go deeper, the books that you've mentioned, and I'll link up in the show notes, are places to start. But is there any is there any other thing? Like, would you say to someone, listen, if you like say someone has no idea of physics tracks, so you like get a basic physics book to start off with and just even learn that to start off with? Yeah, I mean you could do that. I would tell you that here's the cool thing. You guys live in a time, you don't have to do what I do. People always ask me what I did. What I did is no longer operational. It's easier for you, Robbie, today than what I did. You even mentioned it. I had to spend a lot of money to translate a shitload of papers. Yeah. You don't have to do that. You can go sign up to the Khan Economy and watch their lessons on physics and on on, on biochemistry, on the mitochondrial matrix, literally in probably a weekend, you're going to know exponentially more than most people do in medical school. Isn't it, isn't it hilarious that you know, you'll know you be learning the physics to understand about this stuff and at the same time rating yourself with blue light and the EMF on your laptop? Well, guess what? You can't see me on the video, but I, I have these blue blocking glasses yeah. that when we first started this video because the sun wasn't up, uh, I had on. Now... Dude, it's about 93 degrees here, and I'm sweating bullets. <laughs> well, I won't, I, won't, I won't keep you too much longer because, like, like, I've got so much more to talk about. So, like, Doug Wallace and the mitochondria and head of Well, that's what I was going to tell you. That's one of the other ones that I think people should watch. Uh, and in the beginning, I think you should put the name Dr. Doug Wallace in a Google box. Watch all of his public YouTube videos because that is probably the first step in to understanding mitochondria. And when yeah, yeah. you listen to Doug, He's going to make you drink from a fire hose, but it's important for you to listen to what he says. And then what you do is dissect the things that he says. And all of a sudden you're going to begin to see when you go back and listen to maybe this podcast or some of my other podcasts, you're going to be able to see the wisdom and where this wisdom came from. It came from all these parts. Cause what is Jack doing? Jack is not a discoverer of anything. Jack's an innovator. He takes disparate parts and connects the story together so that you can understand it as a black swan, then your job is to go out and teach other people. That's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to find those 70 to 100,000 people yeah, yeah, to go yeah. out and teach other obedient idiots what they don't know so that they no longer fall prey to the Dunning-Kruger effect. And that will, well, I'll know I'm successful when people in the biohacking community start coming out against supplements. They stop talking about carbohydrates, proteins, and uh, fats and start talking about electrons and protons, start talking about blue light, start talking about the electromagnetic spectrum, then I'll know that I'm really making a dent in the world. You're a spider, Jack. You're webbing all the stuff. That you're bringing all the stuff together in a web. That's what you're doing. But right. it's, uh, do, do you know what? I, I, have, a, I have a friend, Jack, uh, James Smith, the tinker. Right? He, uh, the, and he's not the tinker in Ireland. That means you're, 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 you live in a caravan. But no, he's called it because he's, very, uh, he's a very sort of philosophical mind. But he's very well known in the sports preparation profession, which is where I originally started. And what I kind of see with you is similar to him in sports preparation in that he, like, he he's coming out with material like 15 years ago that now people are kind of like oh do you know what what james was talking about back then is actually 100 correct right now like well not, not nothing's 100 but it, like a lot of what he was saying 15 years ago people like poo-pooed and were like ah oh, like 
they they basically didn't like the way he put across his message, and they still right. don't like they still don't like the way he puts his message out there, because James is like so objective. He's like he he he's basically about physics, the physics and maths that underpin sports performance, and the way he puts his message out there, it quote unquote offends a lot of people because he often talks about he's like most coaches are incompetent because they don't have this understanding, and right. then I see it similar to you now in that what's going to end up happening is. Other people are going to say your message, but in a way that people like better. And then, like, people go, yeah, but Jack Cruz spoke about that, like, 10 years ago. And it's just like, yeah, but, yeah, I suppose he did. But it's just that I emotionally like this person better. And right. the way, and people, the way they said it. the bias. What you described, you, this is about the third time you said it. And I told you that's the reason why I talked about Trump earlier. Yeah. People have this an amazing cognitive bias. That they yeah, have to yeah. Their leaders. I totally disagree with that. It sounds like you're friend also disagrees with it look if you if you want to be a good parent don't be your fucking kid's friend mm. be their parent if you want to be a good coach don't be their fucking friend you need to get in their head so that they understand they need to focus most of their attention on the things that matters and they have to eliminate the unnecessary yeah. and guess what most of what people keep tripping over is things they think are necessary that aren't and the only way you can get their attention is to kick them in the balls. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. And listen, I, I appreciate, I really do appreciate you. Um, you know, I got, I just appreciate people being genuine rather than being fake, and that's one thing I definitely appreciate. And I can definitely, I get that energy, and it resonates with me. I get the energy off you, and it resonates with me as well. But I want you to touch on Jack, if you can, heteroplasmic gray. Um, in the mitochondria, I think it's just a good thing for people to understand. And then get more into right, 5G and how EMF um, is affecting the mitochondria. Yeah, well, heteroplasmy, I think when you watch the Doug Wallace videos, you'll get a pretty good flavor for it. Yeah. But I think heteroplasmy, especially in the food guru world, they now are beginning to understand it's very important, but they misunderstand heteroplasmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, most, most of them that jump into it realize that heteroplasmy is something that's really good in people who are super centenarians, meaning those over 100 years old. And when you study literature, it's true. But what they don't realize is what Doug Wallace has tried to teach people for 40 years, excuse me, that um, every decade we go up, our heteroplasmy on average goes up as humans about 10%. That's the reason why we have aging. You know, you listen to a guy like from your neck of the woods, Aubrey de Grey, who's a brilliant guy, but he's totally fucking wrong about most things but the thing is how can he be that brilliant and totally miss the key things because his focus is on the nuclear genome and not the mitochondria yes yeah, yeah. Like Wallace is totally focused in on the appropriate genome and what heteroplasmy functionally is our mitochondrial genome works like a bacteria not like the nuclear genome mm-hmm. and when you understand that as the space between the respiratory proteins. We have these respiratory proteins that sit yep. on the inner mitochondrial membrane. They go from one through five. The first one is NAD, NADH. Yep. The last one is uh, the ATPase, which makes ATP. Yep. It turns out that the distance between those uh, respiratory proteins is incredibly important. In other words, when I say incredibly important to a black swan, that's called their quantized. Yes. The actual distance, the angstrom distance is quantized to how much light and how much oxygen comes in because the input and the output of mitochondria, everything is quantized. Nothing is left to chance. So as the respiratory proteins get further apart, here's the interesting thing we found out from a guy in your neck of the woods 
uh, a guy named Nick Lane, who's also a mitochondrial evolutionary biologist. Yeah, the vital, the vital question. Right. He, he wants to come. He wants to try to figure out where life came from. One of the things that he published in the vital question is he, that he said the research shows that every distance, every angstrom that increases in the inner mitochondrial membrane, it reduces electron tunneling by a factor of 10. So I want you to understand this. That tells you right then and there that the physics of the inner mitochondrial membrane is incredibly important. One of the things that we know is heteroplasmy rate goes up, electron tunneling speeds go down, okay? So heteroplasmy is actually fundamentally tied to the anatomy of the respiratory proteins. So your goal turns out what we talked about before, the redox potential, the more net negative charges that you have in the water that your mitochondria creates or in all the biochemical pathways or in the cells that you have or in the cell membranes where DHA and the endocannabinoids are allows you to collect more electrons. The more electrons you have, the stronger the electric and magnetic fields are in a mitochondria to condense and compress it. That brings the respiratory proteins together. The less powerful those fields are, the wider the space gets. That's functionally what heteroplasmy is in a more detailed way. Um, so when you understand that it's normal, normal part of aging for heteroplasmy to raise 10% as we go, mm -hmm. what electromagnetic pollution does to us or what melanopsin damage does to us from blue light is increases heteroplasmy much greater earlier in life. So you could have 90-year-old mitochondria in a 30-year-old person. Okay. That's yeah. functionally what all, all uh, chronic disease uh, pandemics are today. None of us realize it. Why? I we have this incredible focus on the nuclear DNA because of Watson and Crick. Why? Because we're listening to fucking ignorant idiots. Mm -hmm. And it turns out Doug has been saying this for 40 years. When you watch his videos on uh, YouTube, they're, they're incredibly detailed. Yeah, they but are. When you, when you listen to what and how I just deciphered what the 40 years of his work is all about, and then you watch his video, you go, this makes tremendous sense. So the end game for anybody who's making a, a choice for optimal health is to increase your redox potential to strengthen the electric and magnetic fields in your own mitochondria, and then you win. And magically, one of the most amazing things that Doug has said in his research is that as heteroplasmy rate decreases, diseases vanish, meaning you don't need any drug, you don't need any treatment, you just need to lower your heteroplasmy rate, and that breast cancer magically goes away which is part of the reason why on Instagram, you'll see that picture of one of my patients with her breast exposed to the sun that says the sun is nature's vaccine for breast cancer. Because yes, so, it's true. Yeah. And, and, and this is why like you, you as a neurosurgeon, like I've heard you say, like I'm seeing fucking 20, 30 year old people coming in with osteoporosis in their spine. When I, when I, when I look back to my textbooks, when I was back in, in as a, as a student, they were saying, don't worry about Hashimoto's. It only happens to 4% of the population. And now it's 1%. like, what well, actually I just did a consult with somebody. I was telling them, I actually, you know, I just moved to the farm. I just unpacked that book. That's so funny. Literally three days ago, I packed the Robbins Pathology book from yeah, 1980. Yeah, yeah. I opened it to that page. <laughs> that's gas. That's gas. When people come here for the open house at the farm, I'm going to show them the book and I'm going to let them read the passage where it is because this is what people don't understand. You know, and it gets back to the original part of this podcast. What was it, Jack, that really got you going this way? These mm -hmm. were the things that got me going, Robbie, because I learned 
that Hashimoto's in 1986 only caused 1% of hypothyroidism globally? Today, 1%. Percent, yeah. yeah. Like so if you believe Darwin's right, which I don't think he was, he, was a, he sold a half-truth. Yeah. Um, it turns out that nuclear changes don't explain this. It's actually the mitochondrial changes, yeah. the environmental changes that explain it. And is that why, say, okay, we know that if we can uh, decrease hydroplastic ray, so the electrons have a shorter distance to tunnel, does that mean it's more, uh, we have more efficient mitochondria then in terms of we can, we're better at making energy? Yes. Is, 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 is actually that, less food. Yeah. Where, I, where does electrons come from? Food. Food, yeah, of course. That's uh, the whole thing. And that's the reason why I'm, I'm interrupting you for a reason. Okay. Trying to get your listeners to get it. That's why calorie restriction was shown to work in the 1930s and why it's not going to be shown to work now because it's impossible for it to work now because guess what? The light environments. To see, right. To see, the, to see the effect, you have to be in a native environment. Yes. We're no longer in that. Because so, uh, what? Well, sorry, what? Well, just I, I'm wrapping something in my mind, and if I get this, it's going to consolidate this. Is that why then, like, say, like Terry Walls? I remember you saying she has it half right because she has nutrition, but she hasn't linked into circadian rhythm or the circadian absolutely. biology. Absolutely, that's the reason why she's never solved her problem. I mean, she's a, an amazing person, you know. And when people hear me criticize some of the things that she's doing, it's I'm not saying that she's dead wrong. I'm saying she she believes a half truth. I get the you. I get you. This is light water magnetism. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this yeah. is what I point out to people. She had MS. She's better by eating her version of the paleo diet. You know what that, that's allowed her to do? It's allowed her to pour more electrons and more nitric oxide into her system. But you know what she's missing? Dude, she yeah. lives in Iowa. You know yeah. what Iowa's like? That's like living where you live. Guess why she's never solved her problem? Because she's in the wrong place to do it. She needs light water magnetism tied to the other yeah. part of the yeah. fuel to shrink her mitochondrial matrix to get the win. Guess what? Yeah. I'm not interested in half-truths. I'm not interested in getting behind people who only get it half right. Because if I was, I'd be telling you that statins are great right now. Mm-hmm. I get you. And, and so basically, basically, she's brought her, she brought her, or sorry, her head and plastic great from shit to good. Better. Yeah. To better. No, to just better. to better. I don't think it's good. If it was good, she wouldn't be cruising around with MS. Yeah. Whereas if she linked up, say, light water magnetism, it'll be to optimal yeah, she, look, there's a reason why even terry knows this it, it, classically if you look at any medical textbook that opened up to ms you know what it says when you get to the equator nobody has ms mm. go figure everybody knows this but guess yeah. what it's amazing to me the people that support her don't bring this up yeah. it's it's blatantly obvious in fact if you really do a deep dive every single epidemiologic study shows that just about every disease, including type one, type two diabetes is much more rare on the equator than it is away from it. Yes. Go yes, figure. Yes. And, and why should people be worried? Well, the big worrying things that are going on now, the number one place on the planet earth where diabetics are growing leaps and bounds is China and India. Yeah. Well, what do you know about India? It's close to the equator. What do you also know? The Southern part eats nothing but vegetables, but now Bangalore is becoming the Google center of Asia. Guess why? Because the topology of electromagnetic pollution are ruining melanopsin. So even there where vegetarianism has worked for 5,000 years, you're seeing the effect now. It ain't going to work in an electropolluted environment. Because right now, if you go to that place, every call center in the United States connects to Bangalore, India. Yeah, that that that's was going to be my question. And that surely, though, like earlier on, like you were saying, as we get closer to the equator, 
it 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 improves mitochondrial function. That's how you improve your redox, dude. Yeah, that, your redox. It's that simple. But and it goes but, back to what I said to you earlier. The sun doesn't vary. Yeah. On the equator. But I'll, I'll, obviously, then it's, obviously, obviously, if if people living at the equator start getting blue toxicity, then that benefit's going to go away, is it? You got it, and that's the point. That bleeds right into the next thing you wanted to talk about. Why, Jack? Are you trying to scare the hell out of people about 5G? Well, guess what? Blue light came on the scene in 1874 because of Edison and Tesla. Damn you, Edison. It in 1893 when Tesla came out with the AC power grid. Yeah. So everything that's technology-based starts right from that day. If you look at all human pandemics, chronic pandemics in the 20th century, they all date to that time. Every single one of them do. Now, here's the key point. Jack, can I just stop you there? Because see, th th this is when you say something like that, and someone will say, "Where's the hard evidence for that?" No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying someone's going to go. Not the hard evidence, but you know what? You got to put Windex on your glass eye and go back and look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll give I, you I get a perfect that. example. I'll give you an example to study, so that way you get it. This is for the skeptic. You go back and look at the United States disease data, <clears throat> 1900. Colon cancer was the 37th leading cause of cancer. Okay, mm -hmm. 120 years later, it's now number two. Okay, Robbie, if you believe what Darwin said to you, in five generations, explain to me how it went from 37 to two. Yeah, you can't. It's, it's like, it's like, the, it's like Pottinger's cats, like, you know, in terms of like that, like the, the epigenetic, epigenetic expression can rapidly change. Right. And that's the point. And guess what controls that? Mitochondrial biology. Mm -hmm. So what do I teach? Black swan mitochondrias. What, what was this whole story about? The, the jump from blue light man-made blue light when you look at the spectrum of an incandescent bowl from edison's times and compare it to the sun and think it's anywhere close anybody who just asked me the question you did that asked me that question say there's no proof they're fucking idiots because mm -hmm. guess what all they need to do is look at a spectroscope yeah. it's been published in books over and over and over again mm -hmm. then look at the evolution of the light bulb and and guess what you're going to find as it's changed when we went to CFLs, to fluorescence, to LEDs. You know what happens? The spectrum becomes more alien. So that yeah. means the sun in the sky for humans is no longer that ball of gas I'm looking at. It means it's an alien sun that you see on a BBC thing at a solar system mm. far, far away. And your biology is not designed by evolution to work to that light. Gotcha. And yet, gotcha. humans now live under that light inside the power grid because they're slaves to their desires and will and that determines their current choices. Just as you're sitting inside today, and I'm sitting outside talking to you. <laughs> it's because it's fucking too cold in this country. Well, guess what? I'm trying to scale this so that people understand yeah. what choice really is about. We have made choices to live inside. When you live at a we high have, latitude like you been. do, that's the reason why people do well. Guess what? The Eskimos didn't live like you. They, they lived in igloos. They were still grounded. Yeah, their skin was covered. But guess what? They ate shit tons of fish. Mm. They put tons of electrons in their body. So the little sunlight that they got in the summer was enough to build their vitamin D bank account through their vitamin D binding protein. And they were able to do that under the native laws mm. of nature. When did we lose it? When in 1950, the, the stupid ass food gurus will tell you it's because they got a bad diet, I'm going to tell you it's because they got a fucking TV. Yeah. Do you know, you just talking talk about the Eskimos. I can't believe we've gone almost an hour and 45 minutes here and we've not mentioned DHA once. <laughs> well, because you, you want to go, you want to go below the level 
of um, understanding. I but know, he, I, know I know, but it's just, uh, it's just that it, like, it, it obviously that has such an important role, and you speak, you speak about its role as well a lot. Well, I think this is the kind of thing, if you heard anything in this podcast that interests you and you say, you know, this guy pisses me off when I listen to him, but he does say some interesting things. Look, it's the, it's yeah, yeah. the mark of an educated mind. Take something you really don't believe and examine it for yourself. And that's what I'm telling you. That's what a block swan does. Those are the people I'm looking for. Yeah. There's plenty of data out there. Like when, when you said to me what you said to me before, it infuriates me. The mm. data is there. You got to get off your ass and look for it. And again, sorry. And again, that that's that wasn't. See, and I know you know this. That's not me, me personally. Like putting that question. I'm putting that question there because I know people are going to come back, listen to this podcast, and say, "Oh, he said this here, and where's the evidence?" And I'm just going to like, well, that's that he answered that question. Well, not only did I answer it, but guess what? I'm telling the the skeptic when I say that. Look, the burden of proof isn't on me. The burden on proof is for you to prove me wrong. That's how science works. Very true. Very okay. True. Uh, so again, um, I'm definitely going to get you back on if, if you'd be willing to come back on because I could talk to you all day as, as most people who ever have you on the podcast do because like, you know, you just, first of all, you're a sound man as we say in Ireland. You're a great crack. Yeah, I love your attitude. Um, and I appreciate your honesty and I appreciate what you're trying to do. Um, if, like, cause I personally, I have to go myself and I know you have to go. You're a busy guy. So in the last five or even eight minutes, um, just there was i'd like you to touch on this like you know people being scared of the sun and put the context around that because i know that it's like people need to be prepared to get the benefit from the sun but the fact that we're always living indoors underneath artificial light that's kind of that's why people are seeing issues with it where you're kind of like if you actually are outside and get adapted to it then you get the benefits of the light and then explain me why that light is so important and then like how red and mitochondrial light kind of uh well i'm gonna i'm gonna even go Simpler than that. Instead yeah, of getting, yeah. I'm going to tell people where to get the answer themselves. I want you to read a book called Health and Light by John Ott. John Ott, yeah, from the 60s. In that, book, in that book, he tells you where we got the bad idea in medicine that uh, UV light causes cancer. Mm. Uh, it came from kids with uh, retinal hyperplasia that they used to put uh, UV lights on. Yeah. But people don't realize that UV light by itself without the other set six frequencies actually can harm people. So UV light is not the same in a fake light bulb that it is in the sun. And unfortunately, because they found these things in kids, that's where the idea came from. But here's the flip side, the dermatologist. Now I'm going to flip all the way to 2018. There's now about eight studies out that show that all-cause mortality, so I'm going to decipher this for you, Robbie, and for Mm -hmm. your Mm listeners. All-cause mortality in doctor speak means every fucking possible disease disease is produced by sunlight. So if the dermatologists are right, explain for X. They can't because they have an old belief that was built on flawed data. That's the reason why it's there. Now to answer your question that you asked me as two Irish guys, you know, I have freckles. I'm Fitzpatrick type one. When are you Uh, coming back here, by the way? uh, I was, I was in uh, actually your neck of the woods in April this year. Uh, But when I come, I'm pretty stealth. I only talk to my members uh, so you're not going to know about it unless you're a member. But yeah, yeah. what you have to do is an Irish guy that's very, very sensitive to the sun. And this is true for everybody. Even if you have melanin in your skin, you have to build your solar callus up. So how you build your solar callus is through the use of red light. The more red light you get, because you have four red light chromophores in your mitochondria, this builds your solar callus. What does the physics of the skin teach us? It shows us the more red light you get, 
the higher your redox is, that you are able to absorb more UV light without any of the pathologic findings. So for example, if I was to tell you and your friends in the pub tonight that I could go out as an Irish guy at the 28th latitude, take all my clothes off, which is what I'm going to be doing as soon as I hang up with you, mm-hmm. and not get red like you guys get as a, as a beat and not get blistered and, and get miserable, none of you would believe it. Why? Because none of you have had the experience yeah. of knowing how to build your solar callus. Well, I have a blog on Patreon that teaches the, the obedient idiot exactly how it's done. Mm-hmm. And guess how you do it? You use red light and you use seafood. And, and you said we hadn't talked about DHA. I would tell people, if you're interested, go read that, that Patreon blog because you'll see how it works. The key thing is, is the way nature works. The reason that why the Kenyans have ace of spade black skin is because that protects them to live at one degree north at 8,000 foot latitude yeah. from the red light. I should say from the UV light. But guess what? The key light that all mitochondria are optimized to is red light. We are red giants. And when you begin to understand that water in our system, it's an optimal red light chromophore. It absorbs everything from 600 nanometers all the way up to 3,100. That uncovers infrared A, infrared B, infrared C. What's the dominant part of light in sun? You know, infrared A. 42% of sunlight is infrared A. So guess what? That's the one that you need to use to build your solar callus. Can I teach you how to do that at a high latitude? Yeah, but you got to be a member. You got to be a Patreon. Mm -hmm. And is there a simple way of doing it? Yeah, I can teach everybody in Ireland how to do it in about five nanoseconds. Mm. But see, that's the kind of stuff that is the domain of the black swan. Why don't you guys do it? When I tell it to you, you're going to be like, shit, that's easy to do. (laughs) Well, the crazy thing is when you do that, you go down to, um, you know, say, I don't know, say Morocco, as a white guy and you go down there and you get strong UV and you go, holy shit, I was able to stay outside 12 hours and not get French fry. Yeah, then you're yeah. going to realize that there is some magic to nature. And the key is nature built your surface to match your mitochondrial biology. And the thing is we don't realize that, but yeah. the thing is nature also made us highly adaptable. Just like the wildebeest has to migrate because it, it senses too much bad deuterium in the grass when the seasons change at the equator and those wildebeest have to cross the Nile River to get past the crocodiles, they do it for a reason, you have the same programs built in you. You're able to migrate too, but the key is we don't do the things that the wildebeest has to do in order to make it work. And those are the things that I teach people. Listen, this has been amazing, and I've tons of other stuff I could talk to you about. Um, I suppose just wrapping up, for again sort of people that that would like be would have criticisms uh, they often say like what's his solutions and like i'm like he's he's put out loads of solutions like just go to like like the circadian prescription just read that cult and genesis and now you know he, well, I mean, he look 99 percent of what i do is free online the problem yeah, is yeah people uh, just don't go read it jack it's right, like that's, yeah. that's the truth and uh, this is what i would tell you if you have to be handheld then I would say become a Patreon member. Yeah. If you don't think I'm, my ideas are worth $5 a month, like a cup of coffee a month, then you know what? I have no use for you either. Yeah, yeah I agree. Because you're I basically agree. telling me how you value me. And if you want more, if you really want your handheld, become a member. There's different memberships. You can become silver, yeah. gold, platinum, or titanium. And if you really want my expertise, you want to become a patient, that's why I'm building this farm, my friend. You'll be able right. to come and really get a black swan education and actually have black swan clinical solutions available to you 
um, so that we can help integrate it with your doc. And if your doc is open-minded, will I even teach your doc uh, as I'm taking care of you? Yes. It's just going to mean that you better have the right doctor. And unfortunately, where you guys come from, most of the doctors over there are probably more conventionalism and more dogmatic than one could ever imagine. Exactly. Could you just do one quick thing? Because I was taking a note and I kind of didn't hear fully what you said. Just in terms of redox potential and mitochondria and with the um, artif- like uh, extraterrestrial EMF, like so, come with, like just uh, 5G and stuff like that. You were saying we, uh, if we get close to the equator, that's going to improve redox potential. Why is that? Yes. And the reason why is because the sun doesn't vary. In other words, you basically have summertime power density from the sun. All the time. You're- and, and what did I tell you? How does the photoelectric effect work? It programs electrons with light. So yeah. guess what? Where you are right now in October, there's no UV light. So how can you program those electrons? Yeah. So what does that mean? You have to eat more, especially the more blue light you're around, or what has to happen? The mitochondria expand. That's what heteroplasmy is. That's, that's how heteroplasmy expands in a high-latitude blue-lit world. That's the reason. Is that, is that why red light therapy it helps. helps? Yes. Right, because it's the most dominant part of sunlight. It's 42% of sunlight. Remember, UV light only forms about 4% of the spectrum, but it turns out that it's the most powerful part. It's got the strongest wave yeah, yeah. forms, and that's what nonlinear optics is all about. You know, the only part of the solar spectrum that can engage in nonlinear optics is the UV spe- spectrum, yeah. and that's what makes it the most important part. Because it controls the redox the most. See, like me personally, Jack, I've no clue about the light spectrums. I need to study that to understand it better. So, well, and again, it's out there. The information's out there. I know it is. So. That's, that's maybe what the next talk is. Hopefully it won't take six years for you to get up to speed on that. And you can get it together. But I would tell you, honestly, I think if you watch my Vermont videos, just on that alone, the three that are out there, yeah. I think you can become a pretty damn good expert so that every time you look at the Pink Floyd album cover, you're going to understand it implicitly. Jack Cruz, you are a legend, sir. Uh, listen, definitely want to get you back on um, whenever it suits your schedule best. And I have more readings to do on Light Spectrums for our next conversation so I can be more up to date and ask more intelligent questions. I hope, I, I really just hope from me to you that you were happy with me as an interviewer because I was like, I, I, I think the reason I waited six years too is like, I don't want to bring Jack on and ask some stupid questions. You know, like, you know, tell me about this. I kind of wanted to get to know study the material more, do my own research and be able to stimulate a good conversation by asking good questions. I don't think you should, I don't think you should worry about that. I personally think that all questions are not stupid. I think all questions have Very a true. purpose. The thing is when you ask me a question that I think is stupid, what am I going to do? I'm going to answer it in a way that opens up another rabbit hole for you. And then you're going to look at me and go, boy, that's not what I expected him to yeah. say. And I do that on purpose. Yeah. And the reason why is I'm trying to push you to the edge of what you know. I'm trying to show you that what you don't know, Robbie, is the single most important part of the equation. And it turns out, this is probably a great way to end this. You ask me in light water magnetism, what's the most important part? Light is. Mm. And you do need to know a lot about light. Let me just say something. Yeah. Light is the thing that has confounded me the most. I that's why I always tell people, forget about being a food guru, become a light guru, because let me tell you something, becoming a light guru has been the most pleasant surprise in my entire medical career. Sunlight and the things within that spectrum, the things that you'll learn will astound you.
Mm. The, the, whole, the whole of nature is explained within those boundaries between 250 and 780. And when you see it for yourself the first time, you can't help but be stunned by, by life and nature. I mean, to me, it's, it's the journey of a lifetime. That's a great way to end the show. Jack, really appreciate it. Just uh, stay online for like one minute while I wrap up the show here. So for everyone listening, you are spoiled people. I put these podcasts out for, for free. As I always say that in some of my interviews with James and other people like, you're spoiled. This information is unbelievable. All of Jack's um, resources will be in the show notes website. Check out his membership stuff. Like his two talks in Vermont in YouTube are, are savage. So I'll link all that up. So Jack, thank you so much for making time. I really do appreciate it. And for everyone listening, Take care, be well, and stay strong.